Heavenly Father, we thank you that our hearts are different because you live inside of us now. I thank you that you've cleansed us, that you've shined your light in places that we'd even know needed light to be shined on. But by your grace and mercy, you take us through. So Father, I pray that you use your servant now to speak the word of Christ, that you empower your words to do what it needs to do in people's hearts. May they hear it, may they receive it, and may they live by it. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. So today's sermon is called God Fights for Us and God Fights with Us. And the key scripture I'm going to want you to keep in mind today is this one, Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Amen. So let's start with why does God fight for us? Here's a slide showing some of the greatest fighters the world has ever seen. Muhammad Ali, the one on, let's see what side he's on. That's him. He's arguably the greatest boxer in history, and he fought to be recognized as an individual and a great sportsman. The person in the middle, Martin Luther King, fought valiantly for civil rights until his assassination in 1968. And this is the only picture I can find of Jesus. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, fought for our eternal salvation and the restoration of our relationship with God. The person on the left was a great fighter, but the ultimate fighter and champion, the one who has every victory, is Jesus, and there's been no other before him or after him. These men fought for something greater, for the oppressed, for others rather than themselves. This is the type of fighter I believe God raises his people to be. The Bible shows a theme of God fighting for his people, starting from Adam through to Moses, Joshua, the judges, David, the prophets, the apostles, Paul, and then ultimately Jesus. He fought the ultimate battle between good and evil, righteousness and sin, life and death, but he continues to fight for the children of God, saving them from themselves, eternal destruction, and separation from God. It's notable that the Old Testament talks about God fighting for us more than the New Testament. Yes, there are more books in the Old Testament, and God normally spoke for his prophets about fighting for his people. But Paul often uses battle expressions in his letters to encourage us in the fight, and we do not fight alone. God fights with us, and we must fight his way, with his weapons, to succeed if not the enemy will overcome us. I believe God was a fighter from even before creation. There was a revolt in heaven. We don't know exactly when, but we do assume it happened after everything was created, because God said everything was good after he created everything, but before the temptation of Adam and Eve. From this, God cast out the devil and the rebelling heavenly hosts. We think of God's holiness, compassion, love, grace and mercies, but he willingly fights for those he cares for, and who love to dwell in his holiness and to protect his glory. He will not have anything hinder or challenge that in any way, no matter what form it may take. A quote from C.S. Lewis, Christianity is a fighting religion. That's going to go against the grain for lots of the pacifists with Christianity. Now I'm not going to saying to you, let's go around fighting people. That's not what I'm saying, church. Don't go around thumping people saying, oh, Christianity is a fighting religion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a fight it being a Christian. 
I would like to add that our God is a God who fights for his people. So keep that in mind when you think of him. So when does God fight for us? When does he fight for us, church? All the time. Amen. All the time, even when we don't even realize. The Bible shows God's unending pursuit of his fallen creation to restore him back to him. Our lives and testimonies are all part of this pursuit. He continues to diligently defend and keep us from the works of the enemy, fighting to ensure we become more like Jesus and walk in our calling. Does God ever stop fighting for us? No. He'll never stop fighting for us, not until the day everything is under his feet. There was a lot of fighting in the Old Testament. God's people were often at war. You notice in Genesis, even Abraham was called to fight on occasion. When they walked with God, they were successful. When they didn't, they were defeated. And ultimately, their disobedience led to the nation being scattered, delivered to a greater enemy by God's hand. So let's look at Moses' life to see how God fought for him and his people. Moses wrote Exodus around 1446 BC, during the wilderness wanderings. The Egyptian empire was the current superpower, and it has been 400 to 430 years since Joseph and his 70 members of his family dwelt there. The Israelites' numbers had grown significantly, and this disturbed Pharaoh at that time, who oppressed them greatly into slavery and bondage. This was the result. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. The church is the same today. When oppressed, it grows stronger, not weaker, as it did in the very first century when we had the Acts. Every time God sends someone to deliver and bring his people back to him, there is conflict and fighting. The enemy does not want it or like it, but God always triumphs. Even through Moses' birth, God was fighting for him and his people. Pharaoh, in fear of the Israelites' growing numbers, ordered all males to be killed. Yet Moses was born and speared when Pharaoh's daughter draws Moses from the Nile. In Hebrew, Moses means drawn out of the water. God seems to do that all the time, doesn't he? When the enemy thinks he's got God cornered, God has already done away. And he normally uses the enemy to fulfill his purposes. Pharaoh's daughter... Isn't that a slap in the face? Pharaoh's trying to kill all the male because he's threatened by them. And his greatest threat is right in his back door. And he raises him. That's the way God works. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he, had grown up, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We see God's hand of provision and protection as he grows up, trained as an Egyptian noble. But Moses did not desire what he had, power and influence as an Egyptian over his people. Moses never forgot his Hebrew heritage, and seeing the burden of the people, he wants to defend them. He saw a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, and secretly murdered him and hid the body. However, when intervening between two Hebrews, men fighting, he realizes his crime is known. He flees to Midian, and Pharaoh attempts to kill him, and Moses has to become a stranger in a foreign land. 
that story happens, and I think, in Exodus 2. But what you also have to see is when Moses gets kicked out and he's on the run and he goes to Midian, he actually defends some ladies at a well. One of those ladies will become his wife. Again, God's showing his provision, leading him to where he needs to be. Moses becomes a shepherd, and 40 years pass, and the Pharaoh that he was wanting to kill him has died. God hears the cries of the people and remembers his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He raises up Moses to deliver, to deliver them from Egyptian oppression. Moses had a burden to see his people delivered from their bondage, but he started about it all the wrong way. He tried to get away with wrongdoing, but was found out. God humbled him, and Moses had to be prepared for the task he had destined him for. And he needed to see God's work in his way and timing, not ours. Even when Moses made a dreadful mistake in killing the Egyptian, God is still gracious to him. He spares him from Pharaoh's wrath by taking him to Midian, and he leads him to his future father-in-law, Jethro, who mentors him and nurtures Moses into the humble, meek leader he becomes who foreshadows in many ways our saviour Jesus. Just to expand on Jephro. Now Jephro was one of those guys that had, he was quite powerful in his land. He was well respected. He was a priest as well. And he took Moses in after he uh, did that good deed for his daughters. But what he does is he keeps mentoring Moses. He doesn't just leave it there. He helps Moses, I think, become meek. Because later on, when he's in the wilderness, and Moses is leading the people, and the people have given him a hard time all the way through, and he's the only one that anyone will come to to make a decision. Now, he's got thousands of people coming to him saying, well, what do you think about this, Moses? No person can cope with that. Even the prime minister has a cabinet. His father-in-law comes and says, this is madness. You need to delegate. Give some authority to others that you trust. So even then, Moses is leading a nation, but his father-in-law, he's still humbled enough to hear from his father-in-law, take his advice, and put into place elders that would start to help him lead the nation. Jethro is quite influential in Moses. When Moses saw conflict, he reacted positively or negatively. We should respond positively in all situations as we represent Jesus. Moses learned to react correctly as we need to do ourselves. God took Moses as he was and made him ready for the task through obedience and humility. On a mountain called Horeb, which will become known as Sinai, the mountain of God, Moses experiences the presence of God through a burning bush. And God says he will use Moses to rescue his people from their Egyptian oppressor. Just to clarify, when we talk about the burning bush, the bush wasn't actually burning. Yeah? You see a burning bush all the time. Australia's had notable many numbers of burning bushes incidents during that really sad time in January. But what's unique about this bush is it didn't get consumed. There was a fire burning within it, yet the branches didn't burn. That's what's so significant about this particular burning bush. You don't see a bush enclosed by flames and it doesn't start to disintegrate in any way. That's why Moses took notice. Come, I send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is, your, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses is reluctant, so God reassures him he will be with him and reveals himself through his name, Yahweh, or I am. This describes his eternal power and unchangeable character. In ancient times, to know a person's name was to know something essential about their character. Now again, this is significant. God hasn't just turned up. God has appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Not once has he revealed his name. You can read it, read through Genesis, not once. But in Moses' time, and for Moses, he reveals his name because it's significant. And this name is going to carry on through from that point in time. No matter how long you wait, God fulfills his promises. God does not just speak, he acts. God's word is his bond, and there's no separation between what he says and what he does. God shows Moses his sign of his power and brings Aaron alongside to speak for him, to bring his people out of Egypt to God on this mountain. Moses made excuses and questioned God as he felt inadequate for the task. But God would be with him. God never leaves us alone to do his will and will humble us before he calls us for his purposes. Just going to do a little divert here. Not long. God has really humbled me in my journey to this place here. And some of the journey has been painful. I won't lie. There's one particular incident on a mountaintop myself, on Snowden, where God literally broke me. Literally. Physically, I was broken. Mentally, I was mashed. Because I just didn't know how I got up this high in the first place, and now broken, I had to get down the mountain. But God is good. And he took me down the mountain. And my outlook on everything changed from that point in time. And he did humble me. So sometimes your painful journeys may be the beginning of something bigger. That God needs you to be broken right down, as Colette's already testified. Right down to the bare knuckles before he can start to rebuild you into a much stronger, happier, faithful servant of God. Amen. This shows a God who is with his people. God still uses signs today to encourage his people that he is with them. Moses is 80 years old when God calls him, showing God uses us at any age to do great things for him. That's a shout out to the 50s plus. God sends 10 plagues on Egypt before Pharaoh releases the Israelites. Notably as well, the 10 plagues he launches is an attack on every god that Egypt worships at that time. Again, do some background reading on that. But every god that the Egyptians worship, God sent a plague against it to destroy that god. Leaving Egypt, they camp beside the Red Sea. And Pharaoh chases them with his army and hundreds of well-armed chariots. God confirms he will use Pharaoh and his great army to honor him and show he is the Lord. Exodus 14, 
from verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you seem today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now this is a different Moses from the one we just read about. The one that we read about first, when God first calls him, doesn't want to go, doesn't even want to talk, because they say he was slow of speech, he may have heard a stutter. And above it all, he's got to talk to the most powerful man at that time, and say, boy, Pharaoh, let my people go. I don't think anyone would want relish that to have to do. By the time they're at the Red Sea, you've got the whole army of Egypt bearing down on you. These are chariots built for war. And they, these people don't have warfare items. They don't have guns. They don't have anything to protect themselves apart from the shovels that they use to do their farming. That's, that's unthinkable. But Moses stands firm and he says, God has this in hand. Moses reassures them God has this all in hand and God will fight for them. God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk through on dry land. The Egyptians chase the Israelites into the sea. The angel of God, the pillar of cloud, keeps them separated and throws the Egyptians into confusion. And finally, God uses the sea to destroy all of Pharaoh's armies and chariots. The Israelites saw the mighty hand of God deliver them, and they feared and believed God and his servant Moses. When trials come, we need to hold fast and trust God to take us through. He is able and he never abandoned us, making a way where there is no way. He always brings provision, protection, and strength to allow us to move on to the next place he needs us. God has a plan for all of us. We should not complain or be dissatisfied as this shows a lack of faith and trust on our part. We should try not to be fearful, but reassured that God fights for us. Let me stress, I say try not to be fearful. I know we're human. I know we have our own fears. There's always something that knocks us and we are fearful, but try not to be. God has it. Moses' attitude was positive despite the situation, and he trusted in God's power. Moses inquired of God constantly, but after inquiring, God expects us to act. Trusting God is challenging, so we must live in our new spirit-empowered life to be strong and live right before God to deal with our challenges. God showed his complete authority and power with the most powerful nation at that time, so we must accept God's authority is ultimate. God used Moses to call out his people, to set them apart to live according to his will, to show himself, God, in this world. We see the parallel in the New Testament when Jesus, the ultimate deliverer, comes to set us apart again, the people of God, and instigate his new covenant and kingdom on earth. You may think that once Jesus came, the fighting stopped. The people of God no longer had to fight, and God is no longer fighting. I beg to differ. 
the fight still continues and God is still fighting for his people. He's still increasing his kingdom each and every day, person by person, soul by soul, and he wants us to fight with him. He has always called people to fight with him. God will do some things by himself, but he will still cause people to fight for one another as we need to do as we're in this battle. So what challenges do we face to fight for him? We have to fight to express ourselves as God's children because the world oppresses us in every way. Maybe through culture, its language, in everything that we do, even what we wear. Sorry for the mic. Can you see that? Right, it should be. It's big enough. This is a cross. It's a symbol of Jesus. But sometimes when I'm wearing this, people say, oh, you've gone gangster. (laughs) No, I'm a follower of Christ. That's what my cross symbolizes. I know what it means. But the world wants you to think something different of it. To be a piece of jewelry. To be something that rappers wear. No, it reminds me that Jesus died upon the cross. And that I am crucified with him on that cross. So... So we fight a battle with God on many different levels at any one time. The culture we live in, rather than assimilating our beliefs, which is always good, tries to force our beliefs to assimilate the culture, which is bad. This will only corrupt our faith, trying to make our beliefs what the culture is, which is flawed and fallen. This is why God sent his son Jesus, so that we could live God's way rather than man's way. James 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? God helps us fight our ungodly desires within us. The Holy Spirit and the instruction of our Lord Saviour helps us fight against all that, all that would rebel from the goodness and grace of God. Don't let your hearts be entangled with the world and its values. We have the victory in Christ, paid for at a great cost, the life of the Son of God. A quote from the Good Fight You Version Bible Plan. The world within us creates the world around us. Stay focused and active in his love, grace and mercies. Don't let your heart be hardened by the world or circumstances. The consequences are fatal. Our battle may be caused by these three sources. The top one, as you can see, is ourselves. Our fears, our anxieties and our insecurities. The middle one is others. People are going to work your last nerve in this life. Get used to it. Your family may cause you issues. Your friends may cause you issues. But your enemies will cause you the greatest ones. And then the enemy himself, the devil, and his spiritual forces will give you a hard time as well. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In one translation, that last bit where it says, take every thought captive to obey Christ, it says, take every thought as a prisoner of war. That's a really strong statement in that translation. Prisoner of war. 
So that means you need to get them out and put away that they can't come out again. Do we fight God? Yes, we do. In ourselves, we fight the spirit on doing the right thing when we don't follow or obey the Lord. But God is always good and always right. So it's better for us not to fight against him. We are in a constant battle for our hearts and our minds. Our minds are where some of the greatest battles and defeats occur. Our thoughts and speech have a great impact on how we live our life for Jesus. We must weigh all our thoughts and words in the light of God's truth. Psalm 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your heart, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We battle within ourselves in believing we are still the person we were before Jesus changed us. Changed us. But we are not. The old has gone. The new has come. We need to believe God's truth. Absorb it. Speak it. Live it. And we will become what God has destined us to become. A.W. Tozer said, Jesus Christ never thinks about what we have been. He always thinks about what we are going to be. Just as Moses was destined to be the deliverer of his people, we are destined to be God's children, to fight for him, his church, and his purposes. Our battle is to have more faith in God, to believe, love, and trust him in every situation, to surrender our hearts and minds to his will. God fights for us out of the abundant grace and mercy and love that he has for us. Is our fight alongside God good? I believe it is, as God can only do good. We are in this fight in the first place because man rebelled against God. But through his love and grace, he did not give up on us, but fought for us to be restored through Jesus' sacrifice. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 to 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul encourages us to fight the good fight of faith for God and highlights the characteristics needed to do this. 2 Timothy verses four to seven, chapter 4, verse 7. I have found the good and worthy and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, firmly guarding the gospel against error. We fight against the very things that caused this situation in the first place through deception, the enemy, and ourselves. So we have to fight alongside God to, make, to help him make it right for us and for others we care for. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our fight is not with physical powers, but a fight that can only be fought with truth and love. In God's strength, he helps us fight our spiritual and physical battles to change our lives and others through Jesus. The church has a part to play in this fight, as we are all thrown into the line of fire at some point. Jesus fought our greatest battle on the cross for us. Now we can put our trust in him to know God fights for us and for all who, could, who would believe and follow him. So how does God equip us to fight with him? 
Moses desired for his people to be freed from Egyptian oppression. But when God came and wanted to send to Pharaoh onto his authority to let his people go, Moses did not want to go. God wants to fulfill our prayers and desires with him, not without him. We need to be playing a part in it. He can do all things, but he wants us to be a part of his works in this world. Exodus 17, verses 8 to 13. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So let's come back to the first bit. Moses says to Joshua, you need to lead the army into this battle. But Moses doesn't say, I'm going to stay in home camp where it's all safe and let you get on with it, Joshua. He says, I'll be up on the hill and I will be with you. Also note, he says he's got the staff in his hand. Now that's the same staff that God gave to him right at the beginning when he calls him in the burning bush. That's the same staff that did all the miracles in front of Pharaoh. And he holds that staff up. Now, he hasn't got it by his side. He's got it in front of him. Yeah? So what this notes is, God is acknowledging that he's still the one doing all the work. Not Joshua doing the fighting at the the bottom. Not Moses. But the power of the staff is what's doing all the work. That represents God. The staff represents God. Now, notice Moses doesn't have the staff by his side. Now, these staffs aren't small poles. Those sort of staffs back in those days were quite heavy because they used to pull sheep back. So they're not, they're not brittle, they're not going to break easily. So it's quite heavy. Now Moses, remember, is 80 years old, yeah? He's an old man, maybe equivalent to our 40s and 50s now. He's tired, yeah? He's leading the nation. But he's standing on top of this hill, he's holding his staff up because they need that staff held because God is doing all the, the work. Joshua's doing the physical work, fighting, but Moses and God are being acknowledged as being the ones that are spearheading this battle. And Moses is getting tired. Battles don't just happen like they do now. You know, you drop a nuclear bomb and it's over in, in seconds. These battles could take hours, days. So Moses is tired. He's been holding that staff for a very long time. So he has companions, Aaron and Hur, who come beside him. It's good to have brothers in arms, isn't it? Amen. The men are so quiet in here. It's good to have brothers in arms. Yes, amen. <laughs> because you need some people beside you sometimes to hold you up. Amen? Amen. The Israelites fight against Amalek. They are descendants of Esau. Esau is the son of Jacob. And in the desert, Moses oversees while Joshua is fighting. With Moses' hand raised in reverence, they overcome Amalek. But when his hands drop, Amalek prevails. Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses to hold his arms up, and the battle is won. Psalm 35, verse 1. 
I contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. I believe the same can be seen for our battles with God. That when we're battling with him in prayer, praise, giving him glory and honour, we will endure and come through. We may not win the battle straight away, but instead of Aaron and her holding us up, we have Jesus holding us up. What a glorious picture of God fighting with us and for us. Jeremiah Jeremiah 1 verse 19. They will fight against you, but they will not ultimately prevail over you. For I am with you always to protect you and deliver you, says the Lord. God reaffirms his promises, power and love for us when we fight alongside him. When God installed Joshua as the Israelites' new leader to take them into the promised land, he encourages Joshua that he will be with him as he was with Moses and to be strong and courageous. Joshua 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Further on in in chapter 1 of Joshua, in verses 17 and 18, the people say they will follow Joshua as they followed Moses, but they also encourage him to remain in God and be strong and courageous. God is good. He speaks to us personally, and then he speaks through others for our encouragement and our empowerment. When God calls us, he equips and prepares us for our own individual battles that we will encounter in our walk with him, our past, our previous experiences, our circumstances, but also remember you're prepared by your, the opportunities you have and the training you have through life. Remember, we said, Moses was trained as an Egyptian noble, so he had all the, um, the knowledge and wisdom that they had at that point in time. God is preparing his people using the enemy. Do you see that now? So you have to be wise in God and Whatever comes your way, God could use later on as training for something else. Ask God to lead you in his battles. Jesus prepares himself for his great fight for us in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his ultimate victory at the cross. How much more us when we endure in battle for him? He provides his strength and wisdom through the Holy Spirit, teaching us how to pray and what to ask God for as we endure our battles. He increases our patience to trust and wait on God's perfect timing. He builds our faith in him through these battles and uses us to encourage and strengthen others as they go through their battles. Joshua chapter 10 verses 7 to 15. So Joshua went up to, from Gilgah, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgah. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of beth Haron, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of beth Haron, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. 
and the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jeshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Five Amorite kings were threatening the Gibeonites who Joshua was tricked into making a treaty with. He went to their aid outnumbered. Joshua knew he needed God to win. He marched all night, taking the five kings by surprise. God helped Joshua by doing three things, if you note in verse 11. He confused the enemy. He killed many with hailstones, and he made the sun remain until they were defeated. If you also note in that scripture, let's go back to it. If you also notice in that scripture, more died because of the hailstones than the Israelites actually killed. So again, God's been glorified there. God's still doing all the work. Can you see the parallel with Exodus? The Egyptians were confused. Many were killed by the Red Sea and the waters stay parted till everyone walked through. See the parallel? Deuteronomy 3 verse 22. You shall not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. God helps us to fight our fears of man in our situations. Sometimes he may take away our fears but most of the time he empowers us with the courage to either overcome or take us through what has caused the fear. What do you need to ask for boldly and confidently from God to glorify him in your battles with him? He prepares his children to approach him for everything reverently, for all that we need, no matter how big or small. I just want to note for Joshua. Joshua is a character. I really do like Joshua. This is his stats. If you are a boxing, if you follow sports in the boxing you have stats, don't you? Joshua had 13 battles. Yeah? But in those 13 battles, he defeated 31 kings. Quite significant. You just saw one of those battles. Five kings in one time. He's not, by God, not Joshua. God is using Joshua to knock out kings, multiple kings, in one or so battles. That is great. He's not... Uh, he hasn't got a perfect fighting record, Joshua. He has one defeat. That one defeat is when <clears throat> one of his people takes back an artifact. He didn't have any knowledge of it, but one of his people takes back an artifact, and God brings a curse on them, and they lose that battle. So it's not Joshua's fault, but again, his battle record isn't perfect. Only one Joshua has a perfect battle record. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord Savior. So if you want to back a winner back him we need to be in readiness to fight with him if we become complacent the enemy will take advantage and weaken our resolve we need to stay in the presence of God just as he encouraged Joshua and be courageous so the Lord can fight for us and with us in the mighty name of Jesus Amen 1 Timothy Timothy 1 verse 18 Discharge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, 
in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in the good conscience. When Paul is encouraging Timothy as a leader, what characteristics to show as a godly person, he talks about warfare and how to fight in God. The characteristics I would encourage you to show is love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When we fight for God, he guards us against the works and the attacks of the enemy. Many of Paul's letters and Jesus himself warns us as believers to guard ourselves from things that would draw us away from God. A quote from C.S. Lewis. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. He helps us fight to be faithful to him and his people. When we serve God, he fights for us. We find or receive his peace knowing he has us covered. Sometimes it's a battle for us to rest in God's peace, but we can if we trust him. We fight in a spiritual battle. God is far more powerful and stronger than anything we will face, so we can be confident he will take us through. When we believe God fights for us, we will hold on to his promises. God's steadfast love fights for us to be transformed into the likeness of his son and deliver us from the darkness and destruction this world brings. He equips us with his spirit, hope, life and light to fight against the spiritual works of the enemy, death, hopelessness and darkness. He equips us with his weapons and armour to fight for him and defeat the enemy which we can see in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 12 and 13 to 18. But just for your benefit, Remember, these are, these are the items that the armour of God reflect. The helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit. With God on our side, we can have confidence in him and know he has already provided the victory for us over all our enemies and his. In our walk with God, we may encounter the following inconveniences things that put you out but nothing to stress about so that's like waiting in the queue you know you're at, you're at a supermarket and you think yep that's the quick queue and you go into that queue and that other one starts going quicker than you thought yeah that's an inconvenience isn't it then there are challenges these have an impact on you and they may involve others and require action and a solution that is within your power and control these may include relationship problems, finding money for, you know, the boiler's broken, the car breaks down, things like that. Those are challenges. And then the last one are battles. These are crisis-level difficulties that you can't solve or cope with yourself. These could be severe medical, mental or physical conditions like grief, anxiety. You need God to fight for you in these situations. Paul's life shown in Acts and the Epistles encourages us to endure through our battles and challenges and to trust his will wherever this may take us to fight the good fight for Jesus. He was persecuted, Paul, imprisoned, rejected, but used every opportunity to share the gospel and the goodness and privilege of knowing Jesus. He shows that part of our fight for God will be sharing and defending Jesus and the gospel through our testimony and lives for him. Philippians 4 verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life, and the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. 
I'm reading from the Amplified because I like that bit about practice these things in daily life. Not on a Sunday, not when the pastor's looking, in daily life. God shows us how to fight. We learn from him so we can show others to fight for him. We can model ourselves after Jesus' model. To fight God's way, you have to know and follow his way. James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The only way to fight for God is to give our lives to him completely for his purposes. We all can play a part in this battle. We are all called to be a part of God's fight. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God goes before us in our battles. Again, I'll stress that again. God goes before us in all of our battles. The scriptures I picked today shows God is going right ahead of you. Before you even get to the battle, God is there. He provides his strength to fight and provides us with allies to fight with us. Whatever battle we face, we can be reassured God is with us in them. God is for us, not against us. God's enemies become our enemies, and our enemies become his. Our Heavenly Father is present and active in our lives. When he sees his children threatened or in distress, he will fight for their safety and comfort. Just going to stop there. Today again, God confirming. He spoke about the Heavenly Father. We had it from Chinonzo. We had it through the songs. Your Heavenly Father is with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not uh, disciplining you if you think you're going through a hard time. He's loving you. Just the bare fact that I get up in the morning and Jesus is with me is a reason to get up. There are some people who get up in the morning and they think, what am I going to do with myself today? I know when I get up in the morning, Jesus has got something for me to do. He's given me purpose. He's given me hope. We all need that, don't we, church? Yeah. Especially on a Monday morning when the alarm goes off and you don't want to go to work. <laughs> it's not just to pay the bills. I get to my workplace and I say, Lord, whatever I do today, I do it for the glory of God. And see where God leads me in that. You've got to flip the picture. The world is going to keep painting the picture that everything is not worth getting up for in the morning. God tells you different, but you have to believe it, church. Yeah. We require patience when God fights for us. We may not always see the results of God fighting for us instantly, but it will be in his time, and it will show us what he has saved us from or taken us through. We need obedience, faith, hope, and endurance to fight with God, who will take us through our battles with the enemy, others, and ourselves. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Preserving faith, his sufficient grace and his promises will hold us fast to him when we encounter our battles and challenges in life. We need to hear, honour and obey God to effectively fight with him and for him. God's mighty hand is always at work in our lives and we must wait on God's timing and instruction before taking action. We need to try worrying less about how he will do it and focus on following and obeying his will. God spearheads our battles, trials and tribulations. 
He never leaves us. He's always by our side fighting with us and for us. God fights for us because he loves us and he wants us to be close to him and be with him. There are forces at work we are not equipped to fight in our strength, in our own strength. And we might be too weary to fight ourselves. Even the most spirit-filled Christian needs someone else to cover them sometimes. Thankfully we have Jesus who intercedes for us each and every moment. But sometimes you need your brothers and sisters to be interceding with you. Because God works through people, remember? He's going to come at you at both sides, just like he did with Joshua. He said to Joshua personally, be strong and courageous. Then he told the people to say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. God will reward those who fight with him and for others. We need to fight for ourselves, our families, our church, and for God's name. We need to fight with God when he fights for us. We have responsibilities to uphold for us to succeed while he fights for us. Just like I said with Joshua. God is fighting, but Joshua still had to do the battle. We need to rally others with us to fight for him. He had, Moses had Aaron and her. If we do fight, we need to fight well. That's a testimony. It's, pretty, it's like, guys, I mean, the ladies can fight. Talk, talk to my wife, dear. She can fight. But men, when we were boys, yeah? When you went into a fight, you wanted to make sure you could fight well, yeah? So you had your arms up. None of this. Because you're going to get licks, yeah? You're going to get beaten. So you have to fight well. The same principle with God. You need to fight well. God has told you how to fight well. So listen to what he says and fight well. He has already won the greatest victory. And our God allows us to share in his victory and blesses us with, his own, with our own little victories for his name. God is a fighter and we are fighters with him forever and ever. Amen. I just want to leave you with these words. Don't fight God. Fight with God. Ahead of you, beside you, behind you. He has got you covered. Amen. Heavenly Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, but you do fight for us. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't hear it, you are fighting for us. You fought for us at the cross, and you were ultimately victorious. But you still need us to fight for others those who have not yet seen the wisdom and goodness of glory of God. Just as Moses was attracted to the burning bush that was not consumed, we pray that people who encounter us see you, Jesus. Maybe the flame in us, the light in us, is what draws them, and they start their walk with you. But Lord, we pray that we're ready to fight, because we're not Christians that will bow down to the enemy's works. We are not Christians that will let the darkness overcome us. The light has come. And the darkness must flee because God is in control. So have your way in Jesus' precious name. Amen.